Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Uh, if this is your first time here at Hill City, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and grateful uh, you chose to spend a portion of your uh, Sunday here with us and hope Hill City becomes a place that you can call home. We are in this Revelation uh, series and uh, um, we're heading into uh, the second to last letter uh, in, in the book. And I'll give us a little recap here in a second. But um, how many guys uh, have had like VIP access to something at one point in your life? Doesn't it feel good? Like, like when you get like access to something, like it feels amazing, right? It feels like you can do anything. You get a little arrogant about it. Like when you, uh, it's like kind of like staff kids at a church. You know, they feel like they can do anything at a church, you know, but, but like you get VIP access stuff and like you, you just kind of like walk around and like you kind of flash your badge. Like because you, you, you think you mean something at that point in time. And, uh, and access is interesting. The first time I remember having like legit, like access as a kid. I think I was roughly 10 years old. And uh, my friend Dave, his, his dad was a lawyer for a bunch of Hall of Fame baseball players. And so uh, we grew up about 30 minutes from uh, the Hall of Fame. And uh, my friend's dad was kind of a, a big deal lawyer in, uh, uh, in our town. And uh, he actually had the, the first cell phone in, in our town. And it looked like, it actually looked like this. And um, I remember, man, we hopped in his convertible and drove the 30 minutes. I remember carrying the bag, you know, with the cell phone. I was like, man, look at us. Like, this is like crazy, right? And so we, we go to uh, the Hall of Fame and, you know, it's a big deal in Cooperstown, New York. And, uh, and so they have all these like famous, like older baseball players and, and he knew a bunch of them. And so, so I was like, Man, he's the lawyer of some of these guys. And we were like walking to all these different rooms. It's like, oh, I get to hang out with Ernie Banks and Harmon Killebrew and Warren. Some of these names mean nothing to you guys, but uh, and Warren Spahn. And like all these guys are like such a big deal in Major League Baseball. I was like, man, I felt like I was something. I had access. And that meant, I was like, whew, this is like, this is like what people feel like when they have access all the time. It felt like something so significant, right? Like so significant. Um, here's what we're going to talk about today, that you have access to the king. How about that? You have access to the king, king of all creation, king of this world. Like you have access. It's the ultimate VIP. As, as much as some of you in this room would love to have like all access to like a Taylor Swift concert or something like that, which man, that could be a huge deal. I'm not saying don't do that. But that pales in comparison to the reality of access to the king. Uh, when I, a lot of times I write down kind of main lines that I think about for uh, a sermon. And this is the one. Uh, this week that I wrote down that was this. Diminishing our access to the kingdom of God continues to be one of the biggest tragedies of the modern Christian. I was just sitting and like, as, and we'll read this passage here in just a second, but I was just like, man, so often uh, when I sit with people in counseling or when I, I think about what's happening in the world around us, when, uh, you know, we get in these conversations and so frequently I, I sit there with people and I hear them talking and I'm taking it in and I'm like, if you only knew what you had access to, if you only believed that you had access to this king, if you, if you only like really took in and, and, and not just thought about it in theory, but embraced its reality in your life to know I have access to the king, how much that would change your life and change how you see things and change uh, your identity. Um, we, what ends up happening when we diminish this as Christians, uh, 
If you're not a Christian, it's okay. Like you, I just want you to like hear this this morning. Uh, when Christians diminish the reality of what they have access to, um, that's why Christians get negative and critical and cynical, and we lose our imagination, and we buy into things that will, will actually never work. Uh, it, it's because we, we, we've, we've, we've lost the ability to understand what we have access to. Um, when you're around a Christian that doesn't have any hope, it, it's, it's, they got to that place because they forgot they have access to the king. They forgot they have access to the creator uh, of all things. And so um, even when you, how many guys have been around Christians that like uh, th- their lives are kind of sour and their attitudes are kind of sour, right? How many, how many of you have been that yourself at one point in time? Like, you're like, mm, man, I'm, I feel kind of sour. Why is that? We've, we've neglected to understand, like, man, we have access to the sweet fruit of Jesus. Like, we, we have all of this, like, at our fingertips. And when we deny it and neglect it and ignore it, that's when we lose our hope. That's when we become people who uh, buy into fear and all these other things that we see so rampant throughout uh, the Christian world. And it's such a poor example of what Jesus actually taught us uh, to be. So, Then there's also like how life hits us with pain and uh, suffering and loneliness and different things that that happen in our lives and we start feeling weak and tired and feel like maybe we can't even uh, go on. How many of you guys have felt weak and tired recently? Yeah, well, guess what? This letter is for you today. And this letter is to uh, the city of Philadelphia, and, uh, and not like cheesesteak Philadelphia. This is a different kind of uh, Philadelphia. And uh, so where we're at in this series, let me just catch you up in general. If you're new to your Bible, uh, Revelation, you have 66 books in your Bible. Revelation is the last one. And uh, this last one uh, talks a lot about um, what God is going to do, ultimately do. Um, and how he saves, but really it's not about trying to figure out what happens in the end. It's really about how does this inform like our present and how do we see what's happened in the past and, and how does this all kind of work together? This letter uh, was written by this guy named John. We don't know which John, but it is a John. Uh, and he was on this island and he was kind of sequestered on this island in, called Patmos. And he was there because he wouldn't renounce his faith in Jesus. And so he gets banished to this island and writes this letter and he has this incredible vision and we'll get into, uh, these letters have been very practical. We're going to get into some of the uh, big imagery stuff uh, in, in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, he starts having these, these big kind of visions and dreams from, from, from God. And he, has, he writes this letter to people. Um, not to spook them out. Not to try and give them this puzzle piece to figure out or anything like that. He, he writes this letter to, to embolden their imagination of what God can do. To, to make them not lose sight on how much God loves us, to, to remind them this story uh, of Jesus, and, which is known as the gospel. And as we've said every week, that we, what, stay grounded, because why? The gospel works, right? Like, that is what John is, is trying to do, and so he's pumping this. And so he writes these seven letters to uh, the churches, these seven particular churches, but they're actually these letters for the general church as well. And that's what we've been going through here the last uh, several weeks. And so we get to the city of Philadelphia, which it was an important uh, trade city because it, there was this kind of throwaway between Europe and Asia. And uh, so it was an important city in the scheme of things, but it wasn't the biggest city. It didn't have the most uh, uh, well-known people. It, it didn't have a ton of wealth. It had some wealth, but it didn't have like a, a ton of wealth. And it was on the smaller side of all these different cities. And it didn't have as much influence or impact. And we're going to see here in a second that the church 
church, the, the Christians that were there in the city, they had faced a lot of persecution, a lot of stuff was going on, and, but uh, they had grown a little tired and uh, a little weak, and the, the, the realities of life were coming at them uh, pretty hard. And Jesus writes this letter uh, to them uh, through John. And, uh, and I want you to just kind of see and feel what's happening. Because one of the cool things about this letter is so often in each of the other letters, it was like, uh, I see what you're doing and I've got a problem with you. Right? And he calls them out. What you're going to see here in this letter, letter is actually, it's just one big encouragement. It's a really big encouragement uh, to uh, these Christians here. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. And it starts with this. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is a message from the one who is holy and true. All right, that's important. And the one who has the key of David. That's also important. I'm going to explain those in a second. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do. He says this every time, right? Every time I, I read this in, in studying this, that phrase just always sticks with me in these letters. Because you can, you can see this in two ways. You can see this as God being like, I know everything you're doing, right? And that can feel daunting, that can feel like, uh, whoa, it's like a scary element. Or he can be like, I see what you're doing. Meaning like, I'm with you in this. Like, I'm, I'm with you every step of the way. I, I see right now that you're scared, or that you're fearful, or that you're lonely. Or that you're, and, and I see you, all right? I see that you're celebrating. I see that you're in a good spot. I see that you're, he, he sees. He says, like, I know all the things that you do. And I have opened a door for you that what? No one can close. And so I want to pause here for a second because there are a couple of key things, like holy and true. Uh, this, this descriptor of Jesus is significant because uh, these descriptors that you see at the start of these letters all the time are always setting Jesus apart, setting Jesus apart from other gods and other religions. It's setting Jesus apart from uh, kind of the Greco-Roman culture of Greek mythology. It's always setting Jesus apart. The holy and true is referencing this uh, prophet Isaiah and what, the things that he would say uh, about the creator God of this world. And he's like, this is Jesus. He's, he's holy and true. That there's a righteousness, a trustworthiness about who Jesus is. And to follow him is to be uh, following in the path of holiness and truth. And then he's, he's like, the, to say he's holy and true is to say that, that, that nothing else is. So it's like an exclusive claim that he's making here. He's saying that Jesus is, is holy and true, and the, and, and the only way here is, is through Jesus. And so it's, it's an exclusive claim about Jesus, an exclusive title about Jesus. And then he says to the key of David, that Jesus is the, the key of David, um, I was going to like get like one of those janitor key rings and, and show like, you know, like all the, like the, the, have you ever seen those guys like pull out the rings and you're like, what in the world, right? Like it's so, you have the, the big rings. But, but back in the day, so this, this palace administrator role was a significant thing. And so we've got to go back. The, what John is referencing here in the key of David is this story back in Isaiah chapter 22 uh, with this guy named Shebna. And Shebna was interesting. He had this palace administrator job. When I say that, it probably doesn't feel like a lot. But the palace administrator job was incredibly significant. Uh, you would be the holder of the key of David, meaning that you were the only one that could give access to anyone else to the king or the kingdom in and of itself. 
And they would have this large key, this large key, so large, typically, that they would have to like carry it around their neck. Not, I'm not saying it was like 50 pounds, but I'm just saying that like it was a little bit larger key. It wasn't something that you'd put in your pocket. And so they would have one key, not like a janitor's key. They didn't have like a bunch of keys of David. All right, they had one key. How many of you guys have lost a key? All right, if you lost the key back then, like, there was no other key. All right, so this key was incredibly significant. It gave anyone access to the king. And the, and the palace administrator also had an important role in shaping kind of the emotional uh, and even spiritual health of the people. They, they had this role where they had to care for the people properly. And when they would determine certain uh, moments to have access to the king, and they would also tell the king, hey, you got to have access to the people, that kind of thing. And they were shaping so much of the culture that was around them. This guy named Shebna, uh, he had this role, and you can, um, I mean, imagine just for a second, you working for a king. You had the only king. You, You were responsible for access, right? It's pretty significant. Well, Shebna was a little bit arrogant and he was prideful. And, and what he actually wanted was one day he was sitting there. He's like, you know what? I want my grave to be with all the kings because I'm so important. And, and so what God said, well, hold on a second. You're, you're missing out on what this role is supposed to mean. And so he strips him of his access and gives, um, gives that role to someone else who had the right mindset. All right, so that's like the practical side of the key of David. You have access to the, the kingdom. Uh, it's kind of this, this uh, to access to the king. Well, here's what John is saying here. That Jesus is access to the king. Meaning, no other way to get access to the king or the kingdom of God. The only way, think about how exclusive this claim is. The only way to get access to God is through who? Jesus. That's it. When people are like, aren't there other ways to get? And it's like, not according to the Bible. Not according to the Christian faith. It's like the only way to get access is through Jesus. That Jesus gives us access to the king. That, that Jesus is like through Jesus, we have access to the king. Through Jesus, we have access to the kingdom of God. I mean, think about that. Through Jesus, we have access to the kingdom of God. So often when people talk about what Jesus taught about, uh, they always say, you know, Jesus taught so much about love. Did he teach about love? Yes, he, of course, taught about love. But what Jesus taught about uh, next to money, what Jesus talked really the most about was really centered around the kingdom and having access to the kingdom. And that he would say, this is what the kingdom of God is like, and now you have access to it. How do you have access to it? Through Jesus' cross, right? His death and his resurrection. But then he's also giving us an example of what it looks like. That you have access, what? Through Jesus. And this becomes so significant. Because when life comes at us and we're ups and downs and all these different things, we're trying to figure out a way, we're trying to, like whether, I don't care how old or young you are, it's like you're trying to figure out life, you're trying to figure out your identity, you're trying to figure out what what matters and and you get distracted by all these other narratives that are around us all the time and it's like, no, what Jesus wants us to do is to center on him because that's what you have access to. Does money solve problems? I mean, to a point. But does it give you hope? No, it doesn't. Does your job, however good it is, or however much you love it, is that, is that your purpose in life? 
No. Does having kids, as wonderful as they are, right, and being a parent is a blessing, like, is that what defines you? No. Is being married, can it be great? Of course it can be great, but does that define you? No, it doesn't. It's not real purpose. No matter, like, what you look like, and you, you might think, man, I'm, I'm feeling good. Like, I've been losing weight. I'm, I'm fit. I mean, I'm, I'm handsome or I'm beautiful, however you define it. You look in the mirror and you're like, I, man, I mean, someone deserves this, right? Like, you, you think, like, like, you think those things. Wonderful. You can think all those things. That is great. But I guess someday you're going to look in the mirror and be like, hmm, I used to look different, right? <laughs> it fades. And so you can't put all your eggs in that basket, right? Because that's not real hope. It's not real life. It's not real purpose. Like, it's not real. But this thing that you actually have access to that can redefine your life, redefine your purpose, redefine how you see the world around you, redefine how you see current events. Like, it can redefine everything. You have access to that. And so guess what? When they, stay, when they try and take prayer out of schools, do we throw a fit? No, you know why? Because I can stay grounded because this gospel works and I have access to the king. I don't need to throw a fit about stuff like that. When they try and say, you can't do this, or you can't do that as a Christian, it's like, do we fight for certain things? Sure, we can fight for certain things. That's not that big. But I'm like, do, do we think it's the end of the world? No, you know what? I can stay grounded. The gospel works. And guess, I have access to what? The king. When things are, are like flying out of control, like I'm not going to say a ton about this, but like with everything that's happened around Israel right now, right? Let me plead with you guys first to like don't start trying to predict things through revelation. That's part of what we're doing in this whole entire series. Like pleading with you guys not to do that. Just see what's happening for, for what it is. But like when you see stuff like this happening in the world, does, do, do we freak out about it? No. No, we, we try and see what, what it means to, what does it mean to be like, the, the, to have access to the king and to, to live out and to see this through the narrative of the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. When things spin out of control in our country or in your life or whatever, it's like, man, like, I get it. You can feel pain. You can feel the trauma. You can feel all those things. You can, uh, yes to all those things. But man, like the fact that we have access to the king should, what be def- should define us. And that's what shapes our narrative. And we can stay grounded because the gospel actually works. He continues on in the next part of this verse, and he says this to them. He's like, I see you guys. He says, you have little strength. And some of you guys that raise your hand for being tired or weak right now. He's like, Jesus is like, I, I see you. You have little strength. Yet, yet, you did what? What's that word? Yet you obeyed. Yet you understood you had access to the king and to the kingdom. You, you got it. You're weak, but you, you still remained clear that I have access to the king and to my word and did not deny me. I was thinking about this, this place of uh, when we get tired and weak. And uh, how many guys are... Uh, you feel like you're like old school a little bit. Like you're like, when I get tired a week, man, I'm gonna tough this sucker out, right? Like, you know, and, and it's like, you, you appreciate, I appreciate it about you. That's, that's how I am. And uh, that can be a good thing to a point, right? 
and you can run yourself down, you can burn yourself out, it can be exhausting and, and all those things, and you can uh, really stuff like some of the things that are actually going on. Um, and we can get into these moments in our lives where we feel like uh, we would love to tell people what we're really, what's really happening inside of us, but we have this hesitancy to be vulnerable. Because to, to be vulnerable is to share something with people and they might think differently about you. And it's like, man, we get in these moments where we feel so tired and we feel so weak. And we don't know who we can be vulnerable with. And, and I was just thinking about some of those moments that we all can have. And some of you guys might be in that space right now. You, you came in, uh, you were the walking wounded coming in today. Like, didn't have a ton of hope. Feeling very weak, feel like you're white knuckling things right now. Just holding on by a thread. You haven't been able to share with anyone or anything. And I started thinking about this for people this morning as I was praying and, and I was just reminded of just sitting down with people sometimes and I was like, man, there's this beautiful thing that can happen and you can have this time of confession, right? And you can confess. And these, I wrote down these four things because these are the things that I frequently hear the most right now. This is not, these are, there are more things than this, but like right now, this is what I hear the most. The people are lonely. They feel like weakened by something. They're angry in some capacity or they feel insignificant. They don't feel like people see them. And you can confess these things. And simply confessing them, there is a release to that. Um, but if you just confess them and there's nothing that is like kind of a foundational piece to what you're confessing, confessing to, what ends up happening is your loneliness, your weakness, your anger, or feeling insignificant, those things start to define you. They start uh, shaping your identity. They shape the narrative of the world around you. Because yeah, you've let it out, but what have you let it out to? And, and what are you expecting in return from this? And, and when you think about it this way, back to this word, access. If you confess those things and understand what you have access to, then all of a sudden this access starts defining these things. See, if you take the access out, it's just floating. And then all of a sudden, whatever you're confessing is shaped by whatever you have access to. And whatever you have access to allows us to continue to be people of confession and people that are vulnerable. See, if I know and understand that I have access to the king and to the kingdom of God, then I don't have any problem like confessing the reality of where I'm at and what I'm feeling and what emotion I'm going through. I don't have a problem like confessing my pain or insecurity, or wherever, whatever's happening. Like, I don't have a problem in those moments because I understand what I have access to. And I'm gonna let what I have access to define these moments in life. I'm gonna let that define my identity. I'm gonna let that define how I approach this and how I see what I'm going through. It doesn't take away the hurt, necessarily. It doesn't take away the pain, necessarily. But it can reframe it. And then as you go through it, you begin to understand, man, I'm tired and I feel broken. I have access to the king and you might be crawling to that moment. You might need someone else around you to carry you to that moment. But to understand I have access to the king, it begins to reframe, oh, my loneliness is a reality, but I have access to the king who sees me. And if he sees me, and then I can be in a community of people that begins to like, okay, this reorients my, my loneliness. I feel weak, but man, I have access to the king of all things, and, and I want that to be my strength and my comfort in the midst of my pain and suffering. 
Man, I feel angry because of trauma I've gone through or, or hurt I've gone through or a bad breakup or whatever it is and I'm, and I'm feeling these emotions. Man, I have access to the king and I want that to reframe it. I feel insignificant. Ah, but I have a God who sees me. That starts to redefine how you see your life. It starts to redefine your weakness and all these different things that we end up going through. Here are a couple of thoughts just around this. In times of struggle, pay attention to what you try to access and what you allow to have access to you. So often I sit with people who um, are struggling in life and you ask this question, all right, well, how are you having good habits or how, what are the good people or what are the, the things that are life-giving that you're surrounding yourself with and you realize, oh, they, they've actually allowed like, bad people to have access to their life. They've allowed bad habits to, to creep in. They've had substances that they know aren't good for them and they're choosing that to have access in their life in times of struggle. See, this tells us a lot about ourselves in those moments. Who are we allowing to have, or what are we allowing to have access to us in times of struggle? And then, there's, and then it continues on here. He says this. He says, look, I will force those who belong to uh, the synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Think about that. He's like, I'm not telling you you're going to go beat people up right? I'm not telling you like that, that person that really hurt you. I'm not going to take them down and, and look at them and be like, you know why? That's not what's going to happen, right? He's like, I'm just telling you like what you're a part of. That trauma, um, that hurt, that abuse, that pain, that suffering, what Jesus is saying right here is like, someday I'm going to wipe all those things out. That's what you're a part of and that's what you have access to. Yes, you still go through it, but this is what you have access to. He says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong uh, to this world. Now, when I say stuff like that, or when you hear stuff like that, you'd be like, yes, if I just obey Jesus, then I don't go through anything. That is not true, and it'll never be true. But what is true is when you understand you have access to the king and you have access to Jesus, then in the times that you begin to go through things, it reframes everything. You live underneath this umbrella of protection. Uh, if I were, again, if I were to go to a room, I'm like, hey, tell me about your biggest regret. And you share that biggest regret that you had. And, uh, and, and I would ask you, did you know better? And you, most of the time people are like, yeah, I kind of knew better right? I knew I shouldn't have done that. Not all the time, but like most of the time people say that stuff. And then I think about, hey, when it was really hard, like, did you feel and understand the protection of Jesus around you? And sometimes when you think about that, you realize, huh, I'm not even thinking about that at all. I'm not even processing the fact that I have protection. Because when I am in the kingdom of God and when I'm following the reality and the truth of Jesus, it, it brings about this protection around us. Uh, how many of you guys have gotten bitter before? It's okay. All right, how many of you guys have lied? Everyone else, right? Like, so, um, but everyone in this room has gotten bitter before. And you probably will again. 
But here's the reality. Do you know what can protect you against your bitterness? A prayerful, gracious life underneath the protection of Jesus. But Wags, you don't know how much they hurt me. I'm not saying you didn't get hurt. I'm not saying that it doesn't still hurt. But man, to feel the protection, the reality, and the hope that we have in Christ begins to reframe that hurt. And the bitterness can subside and healing and courage can come out of that. Something to think about. People who give up access will live a life focused on what they don't have. You see, when we, this is part of why hurt lingers and pain lingers and weakness like lingers on and on and on. It's because, man, we forget on what we have access to. And when we forget, it sucks the life out of us because we're trying to do everything on our own. And so we just think it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. And then you realize you're on this treadmill of life that you're not actually going. But I'm running fast, Wags, but you're not going anywhere because it's all about you. You forgot what you have access to. I love the part where Jesus says, I will force and I will protect. He's saying that you don't have to do that. He's got you in this. We forget that. We're gonna sing a song here in just a second called uh, More Than Able. We forget that God is more than able because we think we gotta do it all our own. John continues on here. in verse uh, 11, he says, I'm coming soon. Let me just say this, highlight this. This is why we don't try and figure out when Jesus is going to come again. Not only did Jesus tell us not to do that, again, we did this in the first week, like, he says, don't try and figure this stuff out. Don't, so that's what I was saying, like, even like all this Israel stuff right now, don't be like, this is it, like, this is gonna, this is the final piece, like, He literally said 2,000 years ago, I'm coming soon. (laughs) Hold on to what you have. And I love this. You guys know I love this phrase in the Bible if you've been around here. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to the access you have so that no one will take away your crown. When you understand what you have access to, you will live a life out of victory, not defeat. When you give up your access, you're giving up your crown. You're giving up, like, you're giving it up. He's like, don't give it up. He says, all who are victorious will become pillars, I love this, in the temple of God, and they will never have to leave it. All this is here is his presence. His presence and a... um, a merger of heaven and earth. That's what he's saying. Like, you don't ever have to leave it. Don't ever give it up. Don't ever give it up. If you forget we have access, you're you're giving up protection, you're giving up your crown, you're you're, you're giving up this access that you have to the presence of God uh, in your life. This idea of being a a pillar, this word right here, uh, you'll see this frequently throughout scripture. And uh, the pillar is, is pretty significant in a lot of different stories throughout the Bible. And that's why John is referencing uh, pillars here. And we see it from the beginning to the end. Uh, one of the first stories that you kind of hear about uh, a pillar uh, is the story of um, uh, the stairway to heaven, kind of where it comes from, right? And uh, Jacob is, is down, and, and he's, he sees, has this vision where he's on earth here, 
right? And this is Jacob. Yay. And uh, what he sees is this ladder here. And this ladder, and he, he kind of gets this vision. Let's see if I can do this with these angels, right? That's not horrible. Um, these, these angels, and um, these angels are, are, are going up and down this ladder. And, and, and Jacob's like feeling this and, and knowing this and, and seeing this. And here's part of this story. What he's seeing in this moment, and this is like what John is actually partially referencing. There is a very thin line between heaven and earth. Like the access that's there. It's like this realm, it, it's there. You, you have access to this. He's trying to get us to understand it. And the response that he has when he has this vision, this dream, it, it says that he kind of takes these rocks and he builds this pillar so that everyone will remember what happened in this moment. And pillar becomes a common theme. And Exodus story, uh, they became the, the, those of you guys that know the story of Exodus where God's freeing his people. And it talks about this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire. And, uh, and then you kind of see this. It's like, man, there's something to these pillars. Pillars become foundational elements, right? When they, when they have building, they have pillars. And they build on these pillars. And they become foundational elements. When they, when they built the temple, it's like they put, they put these pillars up there. And so the, the idea of being a pillar becomes significant in that we as followers of Jesus are supposed to be these pillars. In the New Testament, when Paul writes, it's fascinating, he says this. If I'm delayed, he's writing to these new Christians. He's like, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. He's like, this is like God's house, like a grouping of people. And he's like, man, I might not be there yet, but, but you'll know, you'll, you'll know how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to think because the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. That's where we're supposed to be together. This community of believers, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Well, how can you do that? We have access to the king. We have access to the king. And this thin line between heaven and earth and his presence, it's, it's always around us. It's always with us. And then he ends with this. And I will write on the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. Um, Laura, you can come up. Um, citizens in the city of my God. Uh, how many of you guys are citizens of America? Okay. That's great. <laughs> However, what I really want you to know is that you're a citizen of heaven. What, what John wants you to know, what Jesus wants you to know, is, man, you, you're supposed to be a citizen of heaven, and that's what defines you. This new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, we'll talk about this at another time, and I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. I give you a new name. You know, sometimes um, there are names that come up, like you hear someone's name and, and, and like someone names their baby of like your arch enemy in high school and you kind of like, ah, right? Like you, you feel like the, the name. A name of someone who hurt you and someone else has that name and you immediately feel a way about their name. Here's what's crazy, like, about name. 
God has placed on you this wonderful name as his son and daughter. Think about that. Just for a second. You're a son and a daughter of the king. You have access to that. His name's not Marcio. It is to this world, but he's a son of the king. It's not Mark. The son of the king. I mean, think about that. You have an earthly name. That's a beautiful name. But that's not who you are. That's not who God wants you to be. He wants you to feel and know and experience the reality of what you have access to. And he wants to give you a new name. And he wants you to hear that new name just like, you are my daughter. You are my son. And you have access to me in my presence. That redefines everything. So in your despair, in your anger, in your loneliness, in your weakness, in your suffering, in your hurt, in your pain, you say, man, I've got access. And I know my God is more than able. I'm not going to stop believing in miracles because I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the king. Things may come at me and life comes at me really but I can stay grounded in the truth of the gospel because I have access to the king. Part of the song that we'll sing is like, can you imagine the faith in this room, what the Lord can do? Think about that. Can you imagine if every person in this room saw themselves as a son as a daughter of the king and did not forget of what they have access to and lived out of that faith and lived out of that hope and lived a life, can you imagine what God would do? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a second. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing this song together. It's a powerful song and some powerful, powerful words and I want you guys to feel the emotion of the song, feel the depth of the song. But first, I want you to just sit for a second. What's God doing? What's he speaking into your heart? How's he trying to get your attention? Maybe you've been denying him, ignoring him, or never knew him. But you were a son, you were a daughter of the king. Don't forget what you have access to. Will you stand and sing this last song? Yes.